What's up, boys and girls? Thank you for tuning in to the Josh Belcher Experience. I'm your host, Josh Belcher. Remember, this podcast is unique, just like all the other ones you listen to. The only thing that truly sets us apart is your host has an ADHD-driven mind, followed by a splash of bipolar tendencies. Now sit back, relax, hold on to your seats, and let's get this party started. Thoroughly enjoyed this next interview you're about to hear with Chris Ballou. Uh, by himself, you may not recognize that name, but he was the lead vocalist of the 90s power trio, the phenomenal rock group, the Presidents of the United States of America. Now, if you're from the 90s or anywhere near it, you'll remember songs like Lump, uh, Peaches, they did Kitty, you know, Kitty at my foot and I want to touch it. Uh, just a bunch of really awesome songs. I got to discuss... Uh, my uh, fanship with the band as at age, uh, the ripe old age of 13, went to uh, what used to be called 328 Performance Hall in Nashville. Saw my first rock concert, which was the President's, uh, and had a love affair with music ever since. I got to catch up with him, see what he's up to. Actually, not playing rock and roll anymore. He is now performing under the name of Casper Baby Pants, performing for children, uh, composing and uh, playing children's songs. So I got to catch up with him and see about all that kind of stuff he's got going on uh, right here next on the Josh Belcher Experience. Okay, uh, first of all, uh, I'm Josh, and this is Sam, my co-host Sam Madewell. How you doing there, sir? Hey, Sam. Hey, Josh. Uh, did we do the Josh Belcher Experience, uh, experience and start doing podcasting, pretty much cover you know entertainment, uh, music, and, and things that I love. Being a, being a child of the 90s in my 30s now, um, your band set the tone for me, and you know I looked you up and, and found out you're doing uh, Casper Baby Pants, and was so intrigued. Watched it on YouTube, and it's really wonderful. It's not, I mean, it's really a good thing. I mean, it's it's, it's talent. There's passion behind it. Uh, could you just tell us how uh, that came to life, and what made you decide to pursue uh, children's entertainment now? Yeah, well, actually, it was sort of uh, what I was meant to be doing the entire time. You know, really? the whole time I was in the rock band. I had this funny feeling that it wasn't my final destination, and so I kept experimenting outside the band, trying to find, figure out what this other potential thing was. So I had this like just gut feeling, like this isn't it. I need to figure out what it is. And uh, so, for about fifteen, twenty years, I was, you know, kind of messing around outside the band, trying to figure out what was going on. And um, as I did that, the sound of that music that I was playing around with got simpler and smaller and more innocent and kind of childlike. And then I met my second wife, and her artwork inspired me. Her artwork basically uh, had all the qualities that I wanted this music that I couldn't figure out to have. So when I made art, uh, I'm sorry, when I made music inspired by her work, it became super clear immediately oh, it's music for families, it's music for kids. And the feeling I had when I made that revelation was so positive and relaxing and uh, <laughs> sort of like, yeah, that's it. And the presidents were close. You know, Dune Buggy could be a Casper song. And, yeah. You know, Back Porch could be a Casper song. So, um, yeah, it was just a matter of removing the loud drums, the loud guitars, and the sexual innuendo. And uh, <laughs> turns out I was Casper the whole time. Yeah, uh, it's just, you know, like I said, in lieu of the new, um, uh, you know, resurgence of Mr. Rogers and, like, 
watching you. I think you'd be so proud of what you're doing. Um, you know, with that being said, and like, you know, um, all the songs and everything, originals, and then you're doing Beatles songs for kids, which is awesome. What what made you decide to, like, break down Beatles songs and, like, and, and, and do that for, for, for the kids? Well, when I was two and a half in 1967, my parents yeah. received that record for Christmas from my older brother. Uh-huh. And they didn't understand it, and I kind of, as a tiny toddler, inherited it and started playing it, like, every day, multiple times. And it basically was the soundtrack to my entire childhood. Sure. And the way those songs kind of took you for a ride, and they were very visual, and they were very different from each other. And the album was kind of like this uh, psychedelic trip that, as a little kid, I completely loved. And uh-huh. so as I was making music for little kids, I was like, well, I kind of want to revisit that, you know, that thing and, um, you know, focus on the Beatles songs that paint pictures and tell stories. And, uh, you know, before I knew it, I kind of started doing one and then I did another. And pretty soon I was like, whoa, whoa, I'm making a record. Here we go. And I kind of just like fell off the cliff and, and, um, it was super fun. I did, yeah, I did two records of songs by them and it was really instructive too. picking those songs apart was cool because I could kind of see the, you know, I dissect the song and I can kind of see the inner workings and and I it is, a lot of those uh, processes of dissecting their songs influenced how I write songs. So it was yeah. overall a really cool experience. And and you know, I get feedback from parents a lot these days that the kids know the Beatles through my albums, and when they hear the actual Beatles, they're like, "That's not the Beatles." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome because. You know, I'm just going to, you know, say some things just coming from me as being a fan as long as I have. I just think you're one of the greatest musical talents ever. Uh, Oh, uh, that's very, very kind. Thank you. um, 13 years old, 1996, my first rock concert. Uh, You guys, um, the Young Fresh Fellows, Super Deluxe, 328 Performance Hall. Uh, I remember it like I was yesterday. I was right up front. And and after that, I was like, I played drums. I was like, this is what I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing because you guys just gave it your all. And I've, been, <laughs> I've been hooked ever since. And I just think you're a brilliant musician. And to talk to you is like coming full circle. It's truly a treat uh, for me today. And, uh, you know, you, you put your passion in this music as well. I mean, it just it's just awesome to be able to just uh, kind of conquer them the way you do. I'm just very impressed. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's – well, like, I appreciate all that. And uh, that does sound like a great bill. And I remember that tour, and it was super fun. <laughs> The Young Fresh Fellows were kind of a band that I grew up idolizing. And uh, to get to know them later in life and play with them and have them on tour. And then the drummer, Tad, and I became super-duper close friends for like, you know, 20 years and wrote songs together and had a band together and all that. So it was really satisfying for me, too, to kind of find myself connected to that scene and connected to the happy side of the Seattle scene was a real (laughs) privilege. So that was a good tour you caught, so... Yeah. Let's see, I'll be 37 in a month, and I remember, like yesterday, that drummer you're talking about, he put on a single-bar football helmet yeah. and, and played guitar while um, uh, while uh, uh, the guitarist, uh, my mind is a blank for the president, played drums. Right. And I remember he had that big symbol. It looked like a turtle shell. He'd hit it, and it hit all the way to the bottom of the stage and come all the way back up. Yep, yep, yep. That's right. That's Tad. Yeah, man. Yeah. He is one of a kind. See, I remember seeing him in high school myself Uh at like big festivals doing that thing and just being completely bowled over by him. So every once in a while, you know, I was good friends with him. I still am, but I haven't seen him for a while. But 
Yeah. Every once in a while, even though we were super good friends, I'd look across the room at him as we're walking, as we're writing songs, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm friends with this guy. You know, like. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it just, I just remember, like I said, it was so vital to my life because I just got my first drum kit, uh, and you know, listening to you guys, and and you know, back when CDs were all the rage, and then to see you live was such a treat, and like it just it just formed my decision that like I would be linked to music forever, and just. Uh, you know, thank you for that. It just, it was a great experience, and I'm glad that I got to discuss it with you for a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That, you know, uh, that means a lot, because part <laughs> of the reason I want to make music is to, um, you know, set off a spark in other people. And, yeah. I mean, if I had my way, the entire world would be full of, everybody would be a musician or an artist to some degree, you know. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, like, uh, kind of, I don't know, negative thinking i guess from regular people that creativity is the domain of the special but i think that everyone can be creative you know uh, i mean making a sandwich is a creative act you know we think of cre we think of creativity as this like thing on high but it's really something everybody can experience um you know uh, on some level every day so um hopefully i'm broadcasting that option to people by being accessible and being happy yeah, um, uh, uh, one more question about, you know, like I said, I'm bouncing everywhere. I have ADD, and we're talking about everything I enjoy, and I just keep these ideas pop up. But, um, you know, do you want to – would it be ideally for you, would you like to have your own TV show, like your own PBS program uh, going for all this? Well, I don't know. You know, I get contacted about every eight months or so by somebody who's really excited to make a TV show with me. And I've got a whole file full of all these people that contact me, and then yeah. it kind of fizzles out. And I, you know, I've been down the road before. I've actually met with the Jim Henson Company. I've met with people from Disney, okay. and um, now I've got some New Zealand animators who've done some videos for me, and they've been uh, contacted by Amazon to make a series for toddlers. Uh -huh. And so that's kind of a pan in the fire. And you know, the trick with that stuff is. I'm not really into the, a lot of it is they want me to be this kind of like, you know, uh, I don't know, sort of central figure surrounded by these like sort of, I don't know, like, you know, uh, DJ hippie hap or something, the, the little <laughs> yeah. boom box. Or they want to make it kind of like, um, I don't know, cheesy, you know. Mm -hmm. I want it to be like beautiful and really well animated and sort of sublime and subtle and uh, you know, fun and bright and everything, but not like boingy. There's a yeah. certain aspect of kids' productions that are like what I call boingy. Uh -huh. And uh, when they, things get boingy, I'm not really in, into it. I'm trying to convince uh, Amazon to do it where we'd make a video for almost every song I have, and then the show, quote-unquote, would be like a jukebox where the parent can go in or the kid can go in and program a half an hour of videos and there's no story, there's no me. One of the reasons I bristle, I think, at the TV show thing is because I don't really want to be promoting myself when I'm doing this music. That's why I'm, I chose Casper Baby Pants instead of Chris Ballou. <laughs> and why I'm not in any of my videos is because I kind of want to be the man behind the curtain. You know, I want the songs to be forward and I want the stories to be forward and not my personality necessarily. Right. So. Anyway, I'm trying to I'm trying to make uh, Amazon see that there could be value, um, especially relieving, you know, stress for parents and stuff. If they could sit their kid down in front of twelve amazing, beautiful, inspiring videos with great music, and while they do the laundry, um, yeah. and not worry about commercials and storylines, uh, that would be valuable. So we'll see. Yeah.
because kids, I mean, believe it or not, they're 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 very smart and they can see authenticity and they can feel uh, what you're trying to present to them. And it, 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 you're right, they do need something besides the the boinginess that you said they're they're getting uh, infiltrated with now. Yeah, yeah, you're right, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Chris, I got a good question for you. Um, being a musician myself, um, and speaking about the creativity uh, in music, um, one of the things that makes you guys pretty cool and yourself playing the the bass guitar or the uh, get bass um, is it correct that it only has two strings and that's the way you play it? Yeah, yeah. In the Presidents, I played a two string. We called it a bass guitar. And uh, Dave played a three string. And later, Andrew, our second guitar player, played the three string. And then um, in the Casper thing, I play the three string. So I play a, a git bass. Cool. We call the three string a git bass. Well, that's that's awesome. Uh, well, and I also, uh, reading a little further into it, Mark Sandman, um, which is, I was a huge fan of his. So how did that come about? How did that friendship come about? You know, <laughs> Mark and I sat down one day uh, and tried to figure out when we met each other and how we met each other, and we <laughs> couldn't remember. <laughs> yeah. So... I don't know. I, I guess I met him from hanging out in the scene on, sure. in Boston. I think I went to a. I think he his band played at a party, uh, and we met there. I'm not sure, but anyway, we connected pretty quick and fast, and became really good friends. And he let me live with him, and you know, he played a two string slide bass, and he had a, a guitar version that he was experimenting with lying around back uh, in his. Um, loft and i just picked it up and started playing it and went this is it this is yeah. my this is my jam i'll tell you what i sure miss him a lot you know oh man i miss him all the time i think about how you know because he died in 1999 and i think about how he would um react yeah. to the internet and computers and recording really? like that because he was recording on an eight track cassette thing <laughs> which which was great and he was you know, he convinced me to get one, and we would trade tapes back and forth. But, um, man, yeah, I think about him all the time and how he would respond to the current modern right. kind of situation. Well, if the uh, Casper baby pants, um, will there be a uh, national tour in the works? Uh, no, you know, I did a lot of that with the band, and I was <laughs> not, I was not really the person who loved touring. I. Uh, got pretty weary of that part, and yeah. I actually tried to sell the presidents when we got signed on an idea whereby we would play, you know, four or five nights a week in Seattle and just mm -hmm. make everybody in the whole world come to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, I got shouted down. It didn't work. We went on tour and all that stuff. But now I'm actually running the experiment with Casper. So I play a lot in the Northwest. I put my shows up on my website like eight months in advance so people can plan their trips. Oh, cool. And people do it. I just had people from Dallas at shows over the weekend. And I've had people come from all over the country and sometimes all over the world. So, I mean, not wow. like giant numbers, but they do it. So my whole thing is like I was on tour for 23 years. It's your turn. If, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. Well, another uh, funny thing where we like to uh, talk, of, we were talking about earlier, um, being from Washington in the song Sasquatch, uh, Washington State is, you know, uh, famous for uh, Bigfoot sightings. We were wondering if you yourself have ever had one. <laughs> no. No, we have not. Whoa, what is that? Hold on. Hold on one second. Something's. Boom. Okay, there we go. All right. My, my laptop started making noise. 
Um, I have not seen a Bigfoot, but my wife and I went to a, what was it called, Katie? Uh, Cryptozoology Museum. Yeah, wow. In, where was that, Katie? Maine. In Maine. (laughs) In Portland, Maine. We went to a Cryptozoology Museum, and uh, I guess that's as close as we've gotten to Bigfoot, because, you know, (laughs) cryptozoology is all about stuff that uh, is, uh, unproven, like people think it exists, but it hasn't been proven, like Loch Ness monster and you right. know, all that stuff. So, yeah. so that's as close as I got was uh, big models of Bigfoot at the Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, hey, if you don't do anything else this week, you've literally made. A- Next on the Josh Belcher Experience is funny man Blake Weber. He's a comedian, writer, improviser, musician, and performance artist based out of Los Angeles, California. A fun fact to learn about him while interviewing him, his grandfather is actually from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, His grandmother is from California. So let's make sure that we uh, give this fellow with some Tennessee roots a warm welcome and go... uh, you know, uh, check him out Wednesday, September 4th at Zany's Nashville, a 7 p.m. show. Doors open at 5.30 p.m. You can get your tickets learn more about it at zanysnashville.com. Uh, the guy has amassed over a million followers and hundreds of millions of views across the Internet and on TV. He's appeared on Netflix, Cooking on High, Viceland's Flophouse, Amazon Prime, World Star, LA Weekly, Vice Magazine, and actually has the most disliked video in BuzzFeed history. How bizarre and crazily odd is that? Uh, currently, he's in production for the second season of his talk show and podcast, Hashtag Killing It, which is available on YouTube and streaming sites everywhere. He's going to bring his brand of comedy here to Nashville. Got to talk with him about um, his success online and everything. A really great guy, really fun to talk to. Uh, I think he's going to have a hilarious show. Uh, he has like a million followers on Instagram, like I had mentioned. Uh, he has a million and one now because I signed up not too long ago. And he's constantly pumping out funny new uh, stuff uh, for you to enjoy. So check him out. And uh, here we go with the interview. First of all, I'm really excited to be talking to Hilarious and pretty much the owner of the internet, uh, Blake Weber's uh, with us here on the <laughs> podcast. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good, brother. How are you doing? Uh, dude, we're doing great. Uh, thanks for calling. We're excited to have you in Nashville, bringing your comedy show here. Um, is this your first time with us, uh, performing down here in Nashville, that is? Yes. Yeah, I've been there before, you know, when I was a little kid. Uh, my, my grandfather was actually from Nashville, um, uh-huh. so which is pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, it's my first time coming out to perform and first time I've been there since I was uh, about nine years old. Very cool. Well, it's, it's blown up, but, like, uh, it's it's truly there's – a, there's a little mixture of everybody here now. But that's cool. Your granddad's from here. That makes you, what, uh, one-eighth uh, uh, Tennessean then? So you're you're a little bit of a southern guy yourself, huh? <laughs> Damn right. My grandmother's from Kentucky. My grandfather's from Nashville. So oh my gosh. there we you, are. So you play banjo or guitar or both? <laughs> uh, definitely, actually, I'm musically very uninclined. <laughs> really? Well, hey, you know, you can't have it all. You're a fun, very funny guy, so you got that. Um, uh, there we go. Another question: uh, I saw the Blake Vapes thing. Watch the videos; they're hilarious. Uh, is this another author ego, or what's the story behind this? Okay, so uh, it's essentially the same character. So Blake, Blake Weber is Blake Vapes, uh, yeah. but I I shifted my content back in about 2017, middle of 2017, when I kind of saw, I saw like a plateau with what I could do um, with Blake, you know, kind of pigeonholing myself into 
uh, like just a vape character. And uh-huh. I always saw, you know, so much more potential. Um, and, and a lot of people did as well. A lot of people didn't necessarily put me in that box, but yep. because the word vape was in the title of the character, you know, the people, the buyers, you know, media buyers and, uh, you know, comedy bookers and people that I wanted to work with and things that I wanted to do um, were always, you know, reluctant to work with me because of that word. So I just, I just dropped it and went with Weber and sort of right. shifted point of view to I'm making fun of internet culture and the idea of the modern influencer and what that is, which is trash. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of what I shifted into. Yeah. Okay. Same got gotcha. Yeah. Right on. I was trying to yeah, uh, time in to get a, a funny, funny either way, but you know, it, kudos to you for, you know, for wanting to grow as a character and everything. Um, you know, I just followed you personally. I just started an Instagram. I'm I'm at the other end of my 30s, and I'm kind of like old school. But like, I, I got the Instagram, and dude, everything you're posting is funny. And today, like, I literally, I know people say laughing out loud, but literally, like, busted a gut in front of a crowd of people. The little kid and, and the cattle, and you, like the talking you're doing, man, that's just brilliant. Just pure brilliant. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it, man. I love, I love, uh, I love these videos where. You know, it's something weird is happening, and then I get to fill in the dialogue. You know, that shit is that that that's that's where it's at for me because it's like, how did how did we get here? You know, how did yeah. this, how did this situation arise, and and what would they be saying? And that's sort of uh, that's always a fun creative uh, experiment for me every single time. Yeah, I love it. well, it brings a lot of joy. Just just thank you for sharing that because like now oh, that I've got it, it, I mean, I, I can just see it. and I'm like, dude, it's just every everything you got in there. Even like the little TMZ video, and you mentioned. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Yeti and everything. That was awesome. Actually, my co-host, co-host who isn't here, he actually believes in Bigfoot. Do you believe or have you ever seen one? You know, I've never seen one. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I've, some of those videos are pretty convincing. So I, where I, uh, I kinda, I'm, I'm kind of a cop-out when it comes to, you know, stating what I think is fact because I don't know. So yeah. I will always just say it could be there, might not be. I don't know. I've never seen it. I've never touched it. So have to say yeah that that's that's the spectrum i am too and plus even if i did see something to that magnitude i probably wouldn't stick around very long to like really you know investigate it exactly um, <laughs> right you got to go see some evidence and shit and you know I've, uh, i'm i'm a fairly new podcaster did a little bit of radio and, and play music myself. you're a very successful podcaster can you tell us about your show and and how you keep it going and so interesting and and, and all this good stuff i'm just more intrigued by it than anything yeah no it's uh it's been quite a journey, you know. It's a, definitely a new project for me. Is the uh, my hashtag Killing It podcast, yep. and it's it's a lot of fun, man. Uh, my fortunately, I live out here in Los Angeles. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how <laughs> people view Los Angeles. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of creative, cool people out here, and a lot of different walks of the entertainment industry, and you know, and non-entertainment industry even. There's some there's some really cool, interesting people, and so you know, it's just reaching out to these people getting them on as guests, and then I've been lucky, obviously, to, you know, have a really interactive, really cool fan base. I will say that what I've found is, like, a lot of the people that I've met that are fans are just so cool. So I'm able to get these uh, get these cool people to call in my, my uh, I have a voicemail set up through Google Voice, and uh-huh. they call in, and they ask their questions, and we just, we give them answers, and it's a lot of fun, you know, yeah. they, uh, they ask the stupidest things sometimes. Sometimes they ask really great, poignant questions, and either way, we we give them 
we give them the old college try and giving them a good answer, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, that's, uh, that, that's the podcast. Yes, yeah, and I enjoy it. Like you said, it, it is fun Being, doing podcasts, and that's the thing about it. You know, anybody can do it. Obviously, it's saturated. I'm doing it, but you, you know, you really have a good one, and I'm glad you just wanted to bring up a couple of those topics. Um, and one more thing, and then, like I said, uh, we, we're excited you're coming to Nashville, September 4th at 7 o'clock, Zanies Nashville. Uh, you can go online to grab your tickets. Um, like, uh, like what kind of, like, what, what do you do in your show? Like, is it stand up like a traditional stand up, or do you offer a little bit more? Because I'm assuming a, a variety show that you would have would kind of be like, I mean, you, you would just be a total surprise at what you were going to get once you get there. Yeah. Well, and so that's that's kind of been a problem uh, for a lot of people is they don't know what they're getting when they come to the show, um, and then <laughs> when they, which is which is funny, I, and I appreciate every single person that buys a ticket because, you know. Uh, it it is it is kind of uh, I haven't put out a lot of clips because I don't want to give it away too much. Um, but basically, the show is a fake TED talk by your boy, and uh, basically, <laughs> I I am uh, the the topic of the TED talk is how to kill the game and then how to handle your haters. I hear um, you. So it's it's got a really uh, it's got a really deep seated meaning, <laughs> uh, and then and basically. The, that that runs for about the first half of the show, and then the second half starts with a Q and A. Um, and then once I finish the Q and A, I pull up people's Instagrams live on the stage, and we roll. Oh my them. god, that yeah. is amazing! Uh- <laughs> yes, so, so it's it's a uh, it, it is quite an experience. It's unlike any comedy show that I've ever seen, um, and it's, it's definitely unlike. This is my dog. He's yeah. going crazy right now. He sees another dog. Uh, <laughs> it's unlike any comedy show that I've ever seen. And it's unlike any comedy show that most people will ever experience. So it's uh, definitely not traditional stand-up comedy, um, but it's it's its own its own thing, and it's really fun. I hear you, man. And that's that's what makes your 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 styling is brilliant. I mean, you, you're reinventing the game, and that's what you know. You know, we get tired of the same old. So this is going to be exciting, and and that's why I kind of wanted to ask just to get like a tidbit without giving too much away, because I think everybody's going to be in for a real treat. Uh, you know, we want you. We want these uh, Middle Tennesseans to come out and support a a local uh, cousin, uh, a cousin of the, the Tennessee yeah. State. Give you some love, man. So uh, hey, safe travels and keep up the good work. You got a fan here in me, and uh, we'll see you when you land here in uh, Music City. Thank you so much, man. I'm looking forward to one of them Nashville chicken sandwiches. Come on, uh, where's you, the best you, one to go to? Where do I where do I go? Oh, uh, Prince's, man. Are, you like it hot? Yes, hot as they can make it. Oh my gosh, go to Prince's and uh, and uh, get ready to drool a little bit. Oh, I'm already drooling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. We'll see you. Sounds good, man. All right, bye. Bye bye. One of the nicest people I've ever had to interview on my podcast. This is Ben Caesar with his brand new single, So Long Sunshine, Hello Moonshine. Check him out.
Boys and girls and country music fans, a uh, special treat today, uh, Ben Cesar. Does that say it right, or is it Caesar? It's uh, Caesar, like the sound, but everybody, you know, if I had a nickel for every time that happened, I'd be a millionaire by now. <laughs> I hear you. Well, either way, uh, you know, uh, brand new on the scene here in country, just just killing it, man, just just a natural talent. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. You know, uh, we're uh, a podcast is out of Middle Tennessee, and, you know, uh, you just you got it going on. Uh, how, how did it come to be? How did you decide that country music was what you wanted to do? Let's let's get like a little bit of a quick origin story. Oh gosh, uh, I don't know where to <laughs> begin, but like here's what I usually tell people. Um, I got into um, music around the age of 12 years old, just music in general. Um, and uh, when you're around that age, you just kind of are still trying to figure out who you are as a person and what, what kind of music you like and who you like to listen to. And um, I got into country music around that age. Um, I was going to a family reunion in upstate New York with my parents, and my parents bought me a bunch of bargain bin CDs, and they were primarily uh, uh, greatest hits albums, and they they uh, ranged from like R&B and pop and uh, Motown and country music, and one of the, the last ones that I listened to was the greatest hits of country music, ranging from the 1960s up until the 1990s. Right and on. I, yeah, man, and I got into stuff like uh, Johnny Cash, and uh, one of the first songs that I ever that ever stuck with me that actually got me hooked on the genre of country music as a whole was um, a song called Watermelon Crawl by Tracy Bird. Great song. Great tune. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, but anyway, like I said, you know, being a Middle Tennessee native as myself, and you are talking about uh, being being from New York, uh, and I'm just going to brag on you a little bit. You don't get too many people, you know, us other people, of course, call them Yankees, and I, you know, you've heard that. But yeah, the, guys, yeah. the guys that size from the Mason-Dixon line – you're really doing it justice, man. I mean, it's it's a breath of fresh air. It just it just uh, it, it, I, it sparked my interest, and I just had to talk to you and kind of like get to know you to say, hey, you're, you're doing it justice, man. I mean, you're uh, you might be opening up a whole new uh, you know knocking a new door down for people to say, hey, you know, country music represents the whole country, not just the genre, but like, hey, I'm from Wisconsin, hey, I'm from Philadelphia, you know, uh, Ben's killing it. Uh, maybe I could do it too. So uh, kudos to you, my friend. And uh, thank you, man. That's very kind of you. Yeah, uh, so uh, living in Nashville now, I take it, or, or are you going back and forth? Yeah, I live in Nashville. I've been, my wife and I have been living in Nashville, Tennessee, for four years. I moved to Nashville around uh, January of 2015. And, you know, I won't lie to you, the first two years that I moved down, it was uh, a rough start. You know, I, I didn't know anybody at the time. I was in a long-distance relationship with my then-girlfriend. And uh, my, my family finally moved down after a couple of years. Um, but at the time, it was just me and my mentor. His name was Lance Berry. And uh, he was the acoustic guitarist for Randy Travis for almost 20 years before the stroke. So, you know, he kind of introduced me to most of the Randy Travis band, and they kind of gave me some basic, you know, pointers on what to do's and not to do's in Nashville. And um, I'm a side guy naturally anyway. Like, like, when it comes to my work and, you know, being in, in the music industry, like, I can put it on. But naturally, if I'm not, if, it, if like the conversation isn't involved in music, I'm a little shy. So, you know, I kind of had to put on a straight face and be like, hey, you know, just put myself out there. Because if you don't, I didn't want to come off as braggadocious. That was my biggest fear. But if you, if, if you don't, if people don't know what you're doing, then you're not going to get any further. So I just have to tell people in the kindest, most down-to-earth way possible, I'm a country singer. I'm a singer-songwriter. Let's write sometimes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but, and, and just what, what you said, you know, I 
you read my mind, brother. Um, being from uh, my my father is actually from New York, uh, but I was raised in Boston for 20 years, so I'm more of a Bostonian than a New Yorker. But um, yeah, but being in, from Boston, you know, that's one of the one of the top states that was involved in the Civil War, and uh, you know, I know I'm I, I know I'm a Yankee boy, so you know, I was a little worried at first, but then I, I come to realize, especially now that Nashville's become such a huge uh, metropolitan city, there's transplants from everywhere, man. I'm, and yeah. only coincidentally. Is the uh, it's the fact that I'm mostly friends with Northerners by just by pure coincidence. I don't yeah. know enough Southerners around here, man, who aren't like involved in the business. So you know, still making friends and doing it, and uh, and uh, yeah, just uh, you know, country music should be just like you said for everybody in this country. It shouldn't just be um, reduced to um, Southerners. Otherwise, it would be called Southern music. That's know? right. That's right, and, and and like I said, and that's that's kind of like what I want to talk to you to say because now you know you got a fan in me. If I ever get to meet you, we'll be friends too. Um, just because like you do it justice, man. I think you you know you're you're giving it a lot of respect because the way I look at it as a musician and as a lover of music and somebody that's from here, um, it's about you know putting your heart and soul into it. Like like you know listening to your songs. I mean, you you make it believable, and that's what you have to do. Like Johnny Cash said, he said, if you're not singing from your heart and soul, you know the fans will know it. No. Yeah, exactly. And, and and you're you're knocking it out of the park, and, I, and you know, like I said, I was listening to your music, and then your publicist is a friend of mine. I was like, hey, got uh, got to get him on the podcast. He's got enough time. She was like, uh, tell me you were tearing it up and down through Ireland or something. Is that where you just got back from? Yeah, man, <laughs> I'm still recovering from jet lag as we speak. Um, I just <laughs> flew back from Ireland a couple wow. of days ago, and uh, I was on a Irish country radio tour, and. Um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to ramble on about my whole experiences in Ireland, but I, I will say, like, I'm mostly Italian. You know, I e why my last name is C E S A R E Caesar. But um, my mom is half Irish, so my fa- my grandfather was pure Irish, and I loved him very much. He died in 07, so oh, wow. you know, going to going to Ireland was kind of like a pilgrimage for me, and it kind of, I always kind of felt like, yeah, I don't I don't mean to get sentimental, but I, I always felt like my grandpa was around me on that trip. I I drove on the left side of the road for the first time, so I, I was like, "Grandpa, Grandpa, look out for me, man! This, these are your people; these are your roads. You know, look out for me, man! Don't, don't let me get in a car crash." But um, no, they, the, the Irish were very kind to play my music, and uh, also some people in the UK uh, on BBC Radio were uh, playing me. And uh, you know, I'm just very grateful for every opportunity uh, all over the world, not just in my own country, but I'm very uh, grateful that some people in Ireland were playing uh, my song, my current singles, "Rebound Baby." And yep. um, my my most recent single, "So Long Sunshine, Hello Moonshine," which are available on all streaming platforms. Um, just very grateful every opportunity I get, man. Yeah, I, I saw those on your website. You know, I I just like the names of the songs too. Too are awesome. I mean, "So Long Sunshine, Hello Moonshine." We've always been there. And then you know, across the pond, like where some people here, you know, might take it for granted. They they really love and, and take full advantage of getting to be exposed to country music. And 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 you know, they they if they gravitate towards you then you know you've got something good going on because they're usually very receptive and, and you know appreciative that people go over there and, and you know loan their talent so that's cool that you got to do that absolutely um ireland is fantastic on so many levels it is one of the most beautiful places i've ever been to in my life um yeah. and the people for the most part the people are very kind and, and very welcoming and hospitable um but uh, there is i i hope that one day that this will change but uh, in Ireland, there is a very large traditional country demographic, and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. If you don't, if you don't respect your past, or if you don't learn from your past, you won't have a future. 
And I, I feel like that's the same with anybody playing modern country music, including mm-hmm. myself. But, yeah. you know, like if I, I would talk to some of these people in Ireland, either involved in the music industry or not, and I would go from like the 50s and up to about the 80s. And then once I reached like the 1990s and up, they had no idea who I was talking about. And so it's, it's a shame. Because um, it's such a, a bumping, bumping country, and it's, the the country music fans are so supportive of independent music. But then, you know, I have such a huge arsenal of modern country music that I had to pull out some of the traditional stuff that um, you don't really hear a lot nowadays. It's just like you know, I had to pull out Johnny Cash and George Jones and Tom Waits and people like that. I'm like, well, like first off, like respect, like much respect for appreciating the older folks for, for appreciate for appreciating the people who paved the way for everybody else. But um, I, you know, me coming back, I definitely want to go back to Ireland next year for a not just a radio tour, but for a uh, some kind of performance tour like a pub tour or a full band tour i i met some people there who'd help me out but um you know i just want to i i would like to be if not a few other people from america i would like to be one of the people who introduce the newer country to the irish populace and even to the british populace but sure. um but you know you know music is music and you know they like who they like and i respect them for it um but i would love there's so much i love like the brothers osborne and Old mm-hmm. Dominion, and Chris Stapleton, and um, Luke Combs, and just to name a few. And yeah. I like I feel like the Irish are missing out on so much amazing talent. It's not just the bros. It's not just you know all these guys in the six pack washboard ads. Like there's so much to offer for everybody in Ireland. You know. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you 100 percent, man. I mean, it sounds like you've got it figured out, and that's awesome. I mean, you know, maybe you could be an ambassador, and you know, and just kind of like. You know, go over there every so often and give them a taste, like you said, experience, kind of go out of the box a little bit. You know, and they might they might gravitate towards it. You know, they may just not have an, enough exposure to it. No, no. And getting getting back on that, it's what's interesting is like with Irish country radio, it's so it's so interesting because they only have like blocks, uh, like only like one hour or two hour blocks of nonstop of the same genre. It's when I in America, there are stations catered to one specific genre 24/7 and it's it's a shame cuz like for example I had a I had a radio interview in like Northern Ireland and I didn't I didn't get to do the radio interview until about midnight Ireland time so yeah. you know they had a very wide range of they had a very international uh listening range but um you know it's like most I, I imagine most Irish listeners are asleep by then so it's just like I don't know I just feel I feel like there are many other countries out there even I'm Italian so you know, like I went to Italy uh, on a honeymoon with my wife, and um, we were just like, they don't really listen to country music. They usually listen to Italian pop and American pop and rock and hip hop and all that stuff. And it, it's a shame that they don't really listen to much country in like Italy either. So, you know, th- there's everybody in country music, in at least in Nashville, has a place um, and a way to provide and to expand the genre. And you know, if I, if I could be kind of like the I don't know the the Shakira of country music and trying yeah. to get a more to get a more international range. I you know I'd be honored to do that. You know among other people. Yeah, I saw on your Instagram singing at a soccer game, so you're halfway there. <laughs> Almost, yeah, yeah. The um, the Nashville Soccer Club, they are uh, they were really great. And how ironic that I come back from Ireland and do a uh, sing the anthem for a football game. You know. Yeah, yeah, you, you almost have to. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I see, and the one thing I want to tell people, like, you know, being in Middle Tennessee, we'll, we'll hop back to this side of the pond. you got several shows coming up in town for people to get an opportunity to check you out. Uh, you're playing the uh, the Mockingbird at Franklin. That's a real groovy place. Um, where are these other shows at? I see uh, it says September 3rd, but it just says Nashville. It doesn't, like, on your website, I didn't really see, like, a tentative place. No, you're good, man. Um, if you click the link on my, my main website, bencesarmusic.com, that's C-E-S-A-R-E, bencesarmusic.com, um, you'll find out that I'm playing several Broadway gigs. And, you know, I'm a full-time uh, singer-songwriter, so, you know, i gotta got to keep the lights on somehow in this town. So I, I, play, uh, I play cover band gigs every now and then just to keep the lights on and to put food on the table for my, my growing family and uh you know, I'm playing with a. I play with a group called the Cumberland Run, and they're very nice. I'm I'm their new lead singer, and uh, they they provide a lot of. Uh, it's actually kind of nice to take a break from booking my own gigs. I'm me and my wife are usually the ones that book my own gigs because I'm an independent artist, and yeah. uh, it's nice to be working with a cover band who book the gigs themselves. And all I have to do is show up, sing, and smile pretty. You know. That's right. Yeah, yeah. To get up there and, and just do your part. Yeah, it's got to be got to be a load off. Um, yeah. And l let me ask you this one more question. Like I said, I appreciate your time, and I'll let you get back to it. I know you need some rest and everything. Thanks for calling me. Um, being a singer-songwriter, um, do, you, do you write uh, most of your songs yourself, the ones you do? Um, I, you know, I'm, when, I, when I write a song, um, my strengths are ideas, and I come up with first draft song titles, and then I kind of write a premise from there, kind of write a synopsis of the song from there. And... I do have a couple songs that I've written by myself that I'm very proud of, and I'd love to maybe record either at the end of the year or by next year. Um, uh -huh. And uh, but but I think my, my where my strength lies is um, as a co-writer. Um, so I, I write with with anywhere from one to four other people at the most. Like I've only written with about four other people at the most. So yeah. um, you know I feel like working as a team it just kind of gets things done quicker. You know, you get everybody's else, everybody else's perspective, and for the most part, at least from my my personal experience, the the writing the writing environment is very um, is is pro. Um, it's just very just very proactive in you know taking their ideas and being polite about it. And if you don't agree with something, you know, singer songwriters in Nashville have a way of politely saying no without actually saying no. So it's, yeah. very, it's a very organized way of working together and and hearing different people's perspectives and to create something that might be or may not be beautiful. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just where I lie. So a lot of the songs that I've written are with other people. Um, I've written with, with us, some awesome people over the years. And, uh, you know, I'm probably going to be releasing um, maybe one or two more songs um, either by this year or into next year, and then we'll probably form uh, a new EP sometime in the late spring of uh, 2020. Well, that, that's groovy, man. And like I said, appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me. I really think it's going to blow up for you. Um, being I appreciate you, brother. Thank I, you. I listen, listen to a lot of music. Uh, I just really enjoy uh, your approach in it. And I think uh, I don't see anything but uh, just bigger and better things. And uh, like I said, give you some rest. Enjoy your family. And, and thanks for calling me and spending a little time with me here on the podcast. Hey, it's Fred from Cowboy Mouth. And you are listening to the Josh Belcher Experience. Are you with me?
All right, episode three of the Yeti's Burger Dress. We just wrapped up with a very interesting and intense conversation with Charlie Raymond, uh, co-host of the show, The Josh Belcher Experience. Sam Madewell is here with me. What's going on, guys? And um, he's uh, Charlie Raymond is from the he's from the Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization. The man has a bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Florida. He's been at this since 1997. He's actually trying to establish laws to protect Bigfoot in Kentucky. Um, uh, Sam, what did you think about that interview? I thought it was really good, interesting, uh, a lot of strong points. Um, yeah, but it's just it just opens the light. Like I know I'm not discrediting anybody we've talked to. Everybody's had good things to offer, but a man that's you know got a bachelor's degree in psychology and the way he talked, I mean, it didn't sound like we were talking to somebody blowing smoke up our dresses. That's right. I mean, it was intriguing. I mean, what uh, what do you take away from talking to that man? What, what's the, I mean, you're already, you're a Bigfoot guy, but what, I mean, is there anything that he said that just validated any, any opinions you have uh, yourself when it comes to Sasquatch? Well, sort of like you said, someone trying very hard to establish laws, um, that, that speaks for itself if you if you were to ask me, you know. Yeah, I mean, from the soldier, which I was thinking Fort Campbell, I didn't think to ask him. He probably, he's probably classified to tell, but, you know, he's talking about Mitch McConnell and uh, Rand Paul have claimed to seen one. These are like our government officials, but like, do you think they would be kind of at bay because they are with the government, be scared to mention something like that? I, I can imagine so. Okay, and the, but he, he did describe uh, Bigfoot different than the last guy. Uh, uh, one of our guests said that his nose was kind of concave, you can see right up in his nostrils. He said he has a nose like mine and yours. Okay. How, how did you feel about that when he said that? Uh, well, there's, there's talks of different species, you know, different types different classes uh, and he was calling it something that started with an h you remember that i never hominoid. heard that what's a hominoid uh just uh, another species of uh, homo sapien maybe um you know um okay. closely related to us right on bipedal so uh guys coming up next charlie raymond uh kentucky bigfoot research organization check out his website um and uh see what he's all about uh, episode three in the books yettysburg address bam um, yeah here we go. Okay. Very exciting times here on the Yeti's Burger Dress. We have yeah. got uh, co-host Sam Maywell. How you doing, guys? I'm Josh. We've got Charlie Raymond, the uh, chief executive officer of the Kentucky Bigfoot Re Research Organization. How are you doing this evening? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, we're hey. really glad. Uh, we've been doing this. This is our third episode. Uh, we did the last two. We did one with a gentleman uh, out of Tennessee. We did one out of North Carolina. Now we're heading to Kentucky. I saw your c credentials. Um, you know what? Uh, what made you decide to? Uh, you've been at this since '97. What? What? Why, what made you pick Kentucky as your as your place to do your uh, your research? Well, I, I moved here, and when I moved here, I wanted to know where the Bigfoots were. So I formed, made a website, formed the organization. And I did it for two reasons, for my own personal benefit, but then also I would like to protect them and protect their habitat. Yeah. Um, yeah, what kind of laws are you trying to establish to protect them, and how difficult is that doing, uh, you know, with, with the way Sasquatch and Bigfoot is actually looked at? Well, it, it's very difficult, but... In Kentucky, supposedly, Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul had Bigfoot sightings, and they both wow. lived. Yeah, they both live in Kentucky, mm -hmm. and that's a that's a rumor. But if I can get them uh, to support 
some legislature, and coming up soon, there's a place here called Bernheim Forest. It's an arboreum, and they're getting ready to run a gas pipeline through there and also an interstate right through there. So if push comes to shove, I've got two park rangers who have had sightings in Bernheim, and I've got a sheriff's deputy who's had a sighting just outside of Bernheim. So if I need to, I'm going to talk to them, and we're going to try to go to Frankfurt and, you know, establish some kind of law to protect them and maybe protect that land. Okay. Okay, cool. I, and I got another question, Charlie. Uh, have you ever experienced any sort of sighting or encounter? Oh, yeah. I've been very close many, many times. I've seen them under thermal. I've been close to where they're just inside the tree line, and they push trees over, they growl, um, and I, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't hold my ground. I don't stick around. I leave. Yeah. And, and I really think a lot of people get a bad rap for that because you see these videos and people are, it's real shaky, and then they run, and they, you know, deep down inside, you know how big these things are, and that's in the back of your mind. You're not going to sit around. You're not going to stay around right. and see one. It's really hard to do. Um, my next question for you was, uh, in Kentucky, do you get a lot of people, I saw on your website, how you welcome people to, you know, kind of talk to you to get off your chest and you'll keep them anonymous or whatever. Do you get a lot of response about people that have encountered uh, a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot? Oh, yeah. I've documented over 300 reports in which I have spoken to the person on the phone or met them in person, and I've got some that are anonymous. I've got... Um, one doctor contacted me. He says, um, I'm a local physician in the area. I'm on the school board. Please don't use my name. But what I just witnessed, what I believe to be a Bigfoot. And he went in and described the whole encounter. It's on my website. It's down there in Cumberland County, down by Tennessee, the border there. And you can read about it on my website. But he, he kept texting me and calling me for weeks after his sighting. Wow. Yeah, um, I, I personally had uh, some, I believe, to be encounters. I didn't know at the time in uh, North Carolina. I was camping, and uh, we just didn't know what it was, but it's all the classic things, you know, with, uh, um, with the trees being snapped in half. And that went on for a good 15, 20 minutes, and uh, rocks being thrown at us. Not, we had no idea what it was. And, you know, and I just stumbled across an, another podcast about uh, Sasquatch and hearing, hearing that that's one of the – uh, most common things that happens, be, and if you stick around, you're most likely probably going to have a, uh, a visual encounter with them. So when I when I made that connection, it you know it sort of changed everything for me. Um, you know, I, I I asked all my buddies about it, uh, all my hunting friends and stuff like that. You know, it, it does something to you. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I'm brave up to a point. And when they want you out of their territory, ter territory, they'll let you know by, you know, bluff charges. Or, and it's really difficult to stick around. And most, most of the time, I'm three, four miles deep in the woods. I'm, you know, either alone or with one other person. So it's really hard to have a lot of confidence and nerve. Yeah. Um, and I don't carry. I usually don't carry a gun. I don't believe in shooting one. You know, but yeah. Well, I was you know I was looking on your website too. I mean, you have a bachelor's degree in psychology from Florida, which 
you know, go Gators. But, I mean, yeah. the other people we've interviewed and talked to, these are sound mind people, pillars of the community. So, I mean, I just – what I don't – I mean, what is the uh, – you know, you know, there's so many people gravitating towards it. There's got to be something to it. Oh, yeah. There's, there's people – in the scientific community, in the academic field, like, like you know, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, he's well-respected, Idaho State University anthropologist. His his university funds his Bigfoot research. He studies bipedalism. He has the largest collection of casts in the world, and he has a nice collection from Kentucky. Oh, wow. Well, after, after you, uh, you know, studying and having your research and your encounters and whatnot, uh, what would you uh, think that they are? They're yet to be classified hominid that has not gone extinct, very closely related to man. I don't think it's an ape. If it was a, a you know, if it was a gorilla, we'd have one in a cage by now. You know? Yeah. They're, too, they're, they're much too smart. Um, the, all the close encounters I've documented of face-to-face encounters where people get a good look at their face. They said they have a wide hooded nose like a man. The face looks human-like. Yeah, there's ape-like features. There's a heavy brow, sagittal crest, you know, of course the hair. But a lot of people say they look human. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, do you, I mean, um, what what do you think the origin is? Is it like prehistoric, or how do you, how do you think they got here? Oh, uh, they they lived alongside us for many years. Um, they could have even bred with Homo sapiens fifteen thousand years ago. It could be an, an un, unknown hominid bred with Homo sapiens. We just we just figured out Neanderthals bred with Homo sapiens. We just figured that out. They lived side by side and they they bred together. So now we know that. There are other hominids, and that goes, I'll just tell you this, there's been five hominids discovered that, that have coexisted in the last 50,000 years. Five different hominids lived together in the last 50,000 years. Well, this is a, another one, you know, that comes up a lot and whatnot, and I'm sure you can, there's many different theories and uh, on it or whatever, but you think our government knows about it, and if so, what what are your uh, reasons you think they would try to keep it sort of classified or hidden? I mean, like I said, there's plenty of them, but what would you think after all the research you've done? Yeah. I'm 100% confident the government knows. I'll tell you two reasons. One, I interviewed a veteran who told me a story about killing a family of five Bigfoots on a base here in Kentucky. He wants to remain anonymous. But he said right after it happened, they had a protocol. They took him away. They debriefed him. They um, made him sign non-disclosures. They made him take showers. They took their uniforms off them. They gave him shots. They had a whole protocol in line after that shooting when they killed these things. It's a sad story, and that story is going to come out pretty soon. Um, I do have permission for this gentleman to, to, to share his story. I just haven't figured out how or where I'm going to share it yet. Right. And I got a. I also have a guy. He's a doctor in in Tennessee. He's an ER doctor at a children's hospital. He's a Bigfoot researcher. He asked one of his friends, who's former government. He said, "Do you guys know?" And he goes, "Yes, we do. We classify them as species five. Hmm. Wow. 
What uh, so? What would you think the reason? Is it because it would change up uh, the teachings of religion or teachings of? Uh, I think it's more money. It's money. Yeah. Money. Got to protect that land. Yeah, yeah. The government, they don't want to protect the land as it is. They were just getting ready to sell, um, who was it, one of the politicians. They were going to sell off Daniel Boone National Forest in Kentucky. Oh, wow. Yeah, luckily they, they voted against it, but, you know, they don't care. They just destroy trees and forests as we speak. Yeah. So yeah. if we prove there's this human-like creature with feelings and, um, you know, living in a certain area – they got to protect it, and they got to protect right. the land. That's, that's a lot of money. Right, that's right. Um, and like I said, we won't take up too much more of your time, and thank you for sharing stuff with us. We appreciate talking well, with you. Um, do you yeah. guys have a festival or a gathering like they have? The, the, you know, the last two guys we talked to, they have the Gatlinburg. They have the North Carolina. Is there anything in Kentucky? Yes. Coming up, Crypticon. It's in Lexington, Kentucky. It's um, the middle of September. You'd have to Google it. I don't have my um, the phone right here. I can look at it. But Crypticon, you got Dr. Jeff Meldrum showing up. You got Cliff Berkman, Bobo, myself, uh, Tom Shea from Kentucky, and who else? There's a bunch of different researchers all going to uh, present, and I'm taking some people out on a Bigfoot hunt afterwards. It's a blast. There's tons of vendors. So it's middle of September, Google, Crypticon, Lexington, Kentucky. Cool. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, thank you for being on the Yaysburg Address. We appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully we'll catch you later on down the line if we have any questions or concerns. Yeah, thank you very Are much, we? man. Very interesting. You're welcome. Anytime. Yeah, have a good one. All right, bye. Keep doing it. All right, thanks. Bye.